This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. He has time, launches it to the end zone. Touchdown, Terrence Williams. Goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. He put oh, he's the one. Pussy up the right sideline. He's got to go. He's tackled. Sam Houston wins it. The Bearcats capture their first FCS championship. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Ishmael Johnson. A little bit of a different format this week. We're going to have our very own Mike Craven back on. What's up, Mike? How you doing, buddy? Doing pretty good. I was missing talking about the non-Texas and Texas A&M schools, and so I, I pressured I pressured everybody into letting me do do a Zoom roundtable, uh, State of the Union this week. <laughs> yeah, and of course Carter Yates with us. What's up, Carter? Yeah, how's it going? Yeah, it's good to have everyone back here. Let's do a little let's do a little bit of State of the Union around the Texas uh, colleges right now. Yeah. So before we get into that, we have some transfer news. Of course, I mean it seems like. The big ones, Texas and Texas A&M, Craven mentioned, I know he's getting tired of talking about them, but ironically, uh, they're the <laughs> ones that had two of the bigger weekends in the transfer portal. Of course, Texas, a very different strategies when it comes to the transfer portal. Texas is filling holes very, very, I'd say, expertly. And then A&M is kind of just getting everybody they can. Um, of course, they had a lot of holes to fill with the, the transfer portal, but also, I think, even if that roster stayed intact, there were still holes to fill. So I think they've done a very good job. Um, the big ones, re- as of as we're recording on Wednesday, the big ones recently, Silas, uh, uh, excuse me, Silas, uh, uh, oh my goodness, last name, Morgan line, State. Line. Line, line. Um, Bolden. Oh, Bolden, Jesus. Silas Bolden from Oregon State, speedy wide receiver, uh, massive get for them. And then, of course, A&M, or yeah, A&M with Des Ricks, which is, insane pickup for Alabama uh 20 less than 24 hours later he found out he's not the best Alabama corner to hit the transfer portal with Caleb Downs hitting hitting the transfer portal um so we'll see where he ends up it looks like Georgia for him right now but of course Texas A&M um kind of picking the bones of the Alabama roster uh, uh exodus after Nick Saban's retirement Texas of course picks up Kendrick Blackshear as well former Duncanville a uh, prospect who went viral a couple years ago um, when everybody saw his pictures of him as like a junior, sophomore, like completely jacked out of his mind. So he's because going to Texas as well as some more depth. 15-year-old of all time, the scariest 15 Dude. Craven, you were still on the beat, the recruiting beat at that point, were you? Like, what was yeah. what was your reaction to that? Like, when you when you first saw Kendrick Blackshear be like, oh, yeah, he's a sophomore. Yeah, I mean, they called him Debo. You know, like, I mean, he, <laughs> yeah, you know, he was, he was a, he was a big scary dude. What I always thought was funny is like reporters would ask him to like take off his pad so they could take photo. you know, like everybody knew it was kind and of on the, the front viral end shot. Of, right. It was kind of at the front end of like recruiting becoming more like about, you know, going viral than it was about yeah. like, and like, it just felt like he was, uh, he was always the number one ass. And this is weird. A bunch of dudes like looking around, you know, trying to take <laughs> right. a picture of like the teenager and stuff. But he was a he was an absolute physical specimen, uh, kind of a tweener. You know, like it was always yeah. like, is is he going to be too big to play linebacker? Is he fast enough in the way that linebackers have to be? He feels like a dude in 1982 would have been badass, you know, like one of those kind of in the box old school uh, type of linebackers. But I think Texas has added four starters for sure. 
You know, like I think Bond, Golden, Moore, Makuba, you know, are, are more or less, you know, pencil them in as starters. Uh, and then, you know, two potential other ones uh, here with the latest pickups. And so definitely quality, you know, over quantity. Uh, but that's kind of what you get when you recruit really well at the high school ranks, kind of take your medicine early and develop guys uh, behind the scenes. And that's what Zark was able to do over the last couple of years. Yep. And of course, we'll see how many more of these come out. Um, I think bold. Uh, to me, at least, Bolden kind of came a little bit out of nowhere just because it looked like Texas was more or less set at receiver, um, at least enough to go into the next year. But all of a sudden, they've added – I mean, and now that Jonte Cook will see, you know, as a fourth receiver, which is kind of insane. Uh, that's kind of insane depth to have after this year. Um, we'll see what else happens. The other news that happened over the – oh, go ahead, Carter. Well, after the season, the wide receiver room was a giant question mark because of Xavier Worthy and Adonai Mitchell going out. But yeah. now you look at this Texas roster – it's getting stupid at wide receiver, and they've already got most of their line coming back. Quinier is back for another year. This is the new era of the transfer portal where you can just reload the clip. There is very little rebuilding done at these top programs now. Yeah, I mean, Isaiah Bond, you mentioned it, Matthew Golden. Yeah, and now uh, Silas Bolden, in addition to Jonte Cook and those other guys coming in, Ryan Wingo. Um, uh, was it Wingo? Um, yeah. yeah, Wingo. And so I was thinking of Westco as the other one, uh, who's going with Clemson. But – um yeah so we'll keep an eye on that the other big one that we'll talk a little bit on i'll have a piece on this is texas State quarterback tj finley leaving after Jaden delora from arizona uh coming in there is some interesting stuff there um it's not as it's not like any nefarious things because i see a lot of speculation online is like oh they they kicked him out or they recruited over him or he didn't want the competition whatever i've talked to some people it's not as I don't know, salacious as it seems online. Um, it's a lot of, well, again, we'll get into it. It's a lot of like people needing to prioritize themselves, understandably. Um, timelines not meeting up, right? Um, it, it's not a coincidence that I think TJ Finley's delay in announcing his intention to come back may have kickstarted this. Um, but I'll, you know, I'll get more into that. I have a piece coming out tomorrow for subscribers that gets a little bit more into um, kind of the timeline on that. But uh, it is kind of G.J. Kinney's first gamble as Texas State's head coach um, going with a quarterback that away from a quarterback that kind of gave the program uh, new heights this year. So we'll kind of see where that goes. Uh, all right. So this week, Craven mentioned it, a little bit of a roundtable, a little bit of a, a State of the Union ROF style. Um we're going to have questions for each of the Power 5 teams this week. Next week, we'll do the Group of Five. And just heading into the off-season off questions, whether it's this off-season, the future, whatever, right? Um, we'll be asking questions just going down the list and about every single team in the Power in the power 5. And this will include SMU this year because they are going to the ACC. So Power 4 now. Power, yeah, God, powerful. I mean, God, honestly, if you read Craven's article this week, uh, probably power two um, over the recruits going to Big Ten and uh, the we business. need new uh, vernacular. Yeah, I know, right? We've had power five for like twenty years. Um, all right, so I'm gonna start with I'm gonna start with the one team that had a. Uh, I was gonna say the one team that had a coaching change. One of the teams that had a coaching change, Houston. I'm gonna start there right now. We talked about Texas and A&M off the top, so we're gonna hold them a little bit. Your question for Houston is, can Houston become a Big 12 contender with Willie Fritz as head coach? Um, I will set this 
uh, Craven, let's go with let's go with you on this one. Can Willie Fritz become? Uh, can Houston become a Big Twelve contender with former Tulane head coach Willie Fritz at the helm? Man, I think he, I think he can. You know, I, th- I think like a Lance Leipold, like a Chris Kleiman, uh, winners win. And you, if you can win at, at multiple other levels, you can win at this one as well. I, I don't think the jump up. Um, from the AAC to the Big 12 is all that big. I mean, three teams that he'll be playing against in the Big 12, including the one he's coaching, right, are former AAC teams. So he's seen mm-hmm. that level of, of talent. I don't think it'll happen right away. He hasn't been a miracle worker walk in and all of a sudden you're winning 10 games. You know, Georgia Southern's the only place he's won more than seven in year one. But by year three, at every stop, Blinn, Sam Houston, Georgia Southern, I guess he only lasted two years at Georgia, Georgia Southern, um, Tulane, like you are contending by year three under Willie Fritz. He kind of knows this is his last stop. He's an, he's an older coach uh, that wants to wants a chance to kind of do this at the power five level before he rides off into the sunset. I think he's going to be good for the Houston program. I think they're going to get there. It just won't be in year one, probably won't be in year two. It's going to be a slow burn build uh, for the Cougars. Well, I hate to be boring and not embrace debate, but I completely agree. Because I don't think Houston is as turnkey ready as maybe the fan base wants to believe it is. Now, Willie Fritz, uh, he was at Sam Houston, right? And when we think about Sam Houston State and the FCS juggernaut that it is, really it's been because of Willie Fritz. You know, he goes from 2010 to 2013. He brings him to 14 and 1, 11 and 4, 9 and 5. The 31 and 10 record was the highest in that three year span. And he's coached everywhere. From Tulane was a slow build. They made four, no, three bowl games from 1990 to 2015. That's 25 years. He took over in 2016, led him to five bowl games in eight years. He's been the head coach at Central Central Missouri, Blinn Junior College, Georgia Southern, a lot of places that are under-resourced. And I think right now, Houston is a program that doesn't have as many resources, is not as turnkey as maybe some of these other Big 12 programs. So I think... Willie Fritz is the guy that will do a slow build. I think that the other thing that lends itself up, uh, spoiler alert, I also agree, but I think, I think to your point, Carter, this isn't going to be as turnkey as people I think in Houston want, because right now, if you were to list, of course, Texas, Oklahoma leaving, uh, if you were to list the jobs in terms of readiness in the next year or two to contend in the big 12, you probably rattle off eight or nine teams before you get to Houston. Right. Um, of course, Arizona, is, we'll see what happens with that, uh, with, with uh, 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 Fish leaving. But and of course, teams like Baylor, you know, we'll see what about this year. Obviously, they may have a coaching change soon. But as far as like ready made right now, you probably rattle off eight teams before you get to uh, Houston. You get Oklahoma State, Iowa State, Kansas State, Texas Tech, Kansas, uh, UCF is recruiting really, really well right now. TCU even. Utah, right? It's a it's a long Arizona State. They're recruiting really well, and then you maybe get to Houston. But I think, like you mentioned, there is something about Willie Fritz's age. I think plays into this. There, you just saw Arizona get poached by another Power Five school because maybe that he doesn't think the Big uh, Jed Fish didn't think the Big Twelve was going to be as powerful as the Big Ten is. Well, Willie Fritz isn't. You're not worried about Willie Fritz leaving. You know, he can sit there and kind of get his hands dirty. Like you mentioned with Tulane, Tulane was willing to go. I mean, it's crazy that the guy was there for that for that long, because I remember when he was at Georgia Southern. Um, so I think they kind of they kind of s- smartly hired an older coach who's going to then leave that program to whoever. You know, the ideal is he retires there and then takes it and then somebody else takes it over as it's a new, 
you know, kind of a new built up program. So I kind of agree he's, there. And but... he's everything. He's everything that Houston needed post Dana Holgerson. Yes. Like we, yes. we've talked about this on the show a lot. It, it's the X factor, right? Where you're trying to 180 from where you were, you know, before Dana Holgerson's exciting. Dana Holgerson's They tried fun. the splash. Yeah, they tried the splash. But he's not going to just hang out with you and watch film on a Friday night, right? Like it's not as just, you know, you, you just want to Netflix and chill with the next one, right? Mm-hmm. And Willie Fritz like brings that stability, brings the maturity, brings the knowing how, like Carter said, knowing how to do more with less and build a program in the slow, you know, responsible way. Uh, and I, I think that's exactly what Houston needs. And he will be the adult in the room. And and do the stuff that's necessary to build this program, even if it doesn't happen. He'll have the patience to not need it to be right away. And right. I, I think in the transfer portal era, coaches are going to have to weigh how much success in year one matters versus how much success in year three matters. And do you sacrifice year three for year one? And how do you how do you balance those things? Um, you know, I think Willie's going to take the slow approach and, and want to be set by year three rather than right out the gates go six and six or seven and five but does houston have that patience no they have to or they wouldn't have hired willie fritz right i mean i was about to say (laughs) maybe not online right because like nobody online does but behind the scenes you don't hire willie fritz to be great in 2024 you're you're hiring willie fritz to to do more than just that now you i mean they want to win 10 games next year right i mean i'm not saying that you you don't try to win as much as possible uh, I just think you hire a guy like Willie Fritz knowing his track record and how this thing works. And you can't expect to be a big 12 contender until year three, unless you want him to do something that he's not known for doing previously. Yep. All right. Moving on to the other team, the newest team in the power five this year, SMU. This one I like, cause I'm really curious how we kind of had a little bit of a tease of this, this discussion earlier this off season. Uh, SMU went 0-3 against Power 5 teams in 2013, including a blowout loss to Boston College in the bowl game. By the way, I think all their games against Power 5 teams were lost by double digits. So, um, Can the Mustangs compete in the ACC from the jump? I will go ahead and set this as a no. I'm going to say no. Contend and compete. I think that's a big distinction right there. I'm going to say no, uh, but I will let Craven go and kind of give the first uh, uh, monologue. I think it's going to be tough. Uh, I, you know, I know one year doesn't beget the next year. And in the portal age, like things can change. And SMU has added some beef up front on the offensive line and the defensive line. Uh, but they bullied G5 programs last year. They didn't win the old-fashioned SMU way. They they won by running the football and playing really good defense. And that worked against G5 teams because they had more talent than the G5 teams they lined up against. Yeah. When they lined up against Power 5 teams, not only did they lose by double digits, they got beat up. They didn't run the ball as well as they normally did, and they allowed a lot more rushing yards than they previously did. Um, against, I mean, they, they got outscored 85 to 48 in those three games, you know, against Power 5 teams. A, a pretty bad TCU team beat them by 17 points. And so, uh, to me, it just feels like a team that's going to have to like prove it on the offensive line first. They And then also on the defensive line. They gave up 262 yards against Boston College, 189 against Oklahoma, 192 uh, against TCU, outrushed in all three of those games. And so to me, it's about the trenches. I think they're going to be better. I don't think that they're going to plummet to four and eight or anything wild like that. But I've seen them ranked in some preseason top 25 polls, and I just can't get myself to that because I'm not sure how they compete against their peers in year one in the ACC. 
Part of me wants to throw away the Wasabi Fenway Bowl because it was played at 10 a.m. on a Wednesday in Fenway Park. I know. Was that the real? Was that the real sponsor? By the way, is it really Wasabi? Oh, I memorized it. Yes, it was. (laughs) Now that's insane. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) I would have liked to see SMU come out with a more inspired effort because that's about to be an ACC conference rival. They didn't look inspired. Inspired. They were on a backup quarterback. I'm almost willing to throw that game out. The Oklahoma and TCU games, the TCU one especially, is the one I'm very nervous about because, like we talked about, I mean, just gashed on the ground by TCU. And that was the hallmark of their team. They allowed 121 rushing yards per game the entire season. Now, I think the issue with SMU, and I'm going to get to, I think they can contend this year for the ACC, but the high school recruiting is still lagging a bit. They're 58th right now in the country in bringing in high school talent. The transfer portal, they're killing it. They've got 11 transfers all from Power 5 schools. They've got five defensive linemen all from Power 5 schools. Big-time guys will come in right away. I really like their offensive line. They've got Justin Osborne, Logan Parr, Marcus Bryant, all first-team, all-conference guys. So I think the trenches will... Now that they've gotten, they beat up on ACC programs, they've got three games of experience versus Power 5, and then, oh, by the way, another year with Preston Stone at the helm, I think he's going to be much more comfortable. I also like Ashton Kozart, the wide receiver on the outside, because SMU was really struggling all year their passing game for an extra wide receiver or a number one wide receiver to step up. Mm-hmm. I do. Th- we did disagree on early in the offseason about like that, how to read that TCU game. I think it counts. Don't get me wrong. Um, I also... I also think we think, I, at least for me, I think of both of those teams very differently at the end of the year. So again, it's hard for me to, it's hard for me because part of me wants to say like, I would take SMU in that game if they played it now. But the other part is Craven's point is the game happened and we saw it. Right. Um, and are they like 17 points, 20 points better than where they were a couple months ago? I think that's the argument too. Which is my fair. my opinion on SMU hinges on my opinion of the AAC, and that is very low, right? It, is, like, it, is, it was like, a bad, it was a worse had, conference year uh, than last year. Yeah, had TCU played SMU schedule and SMU played TCU schedule, I think we're having the same conversation about both schools. I think TCU mm-hmm. wins that conference and is like ten and two, and I think SMU goes five and seven in the Big Twelve with TCU's conference. Like I, I just the the at least last year. The AAC was bad, like bad, yeah. bad, bad. Like SMU walking into lane and beating the second best team with their backup quarterback without playing that good of a game, bad. Like it just right. wasn't good. Go and look right. at those wins. TCU would have beat those teams too. And I understand I, that, but I also think I was at that Iron Skillet game and it just felt like SMU picked a bad day to have a bad day. Like it felt like baby. Okay, the- Mac McCarthy. <laughs> they they played as the scorned lover you know they were very angry about the iron skillet not getting renewed it seemed like TCU yeah. treated it as just another game and smu was far too emotional that game trying to go for deep shots all the time and i think if they played that game later in the season smu would have had a much better performance so are you take an smu in 2024 against tcu in the, in the iron skillet yes i will <laughs> Interesting. Okay, I like that. Um, and I'll take it, and we'll we'll uh, we'll see what happens. I could be. I was about to say it's it's January, man. We got we got plenty of time. I will say the one thing we haven't brought up yet is I know that a lot of their uh, prestige is shattered by Florida State not getting in. The ACC was kind of good this year, like kind of really good this year, right? You look at the top: Florida State and uh, Louisville, thirteen and one, and then ten and four. Of course, that one for Florida State is a game they really didn't care about. Um, 
But then you have NC State at nine and four, Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech, and Clemson, of course, it's at uh, between six and two and four and four in conference. Clemson's not going to be, I mean, they were nine and four. People are calling for Dabo's job, right? Duke, of course, we mentioned Mike Elko got the job, but Manny Diaz, we'll see if he can hold that ship together. UNC is going to be talented. That's a down year for UNC. And Mac Brown, of course, is going to have that team competing. Miami, we'll see what happens there. Of course, we, they have the talent. They just need something. I mean, there's a reason why SMU is stealing guys from, from Miami to come get their their uh, their size up to standard. And then, of course, then you, then you get in the standings. Then you get to Boston College, who beat SMU. So, again, very deep conference. Um, I think that's one thing that's getting lost. People are like, oh, they're going to the ACC. They're going to run shop. It's like. I get that Florida State was left out and they ran the conference and it's not Big Ten or SEC, but that was pretty deep conferences here for, for the talent that they had. So, um, yeah, something to definitely keep an eye on as we kind of get into our, honestly, projections as magazine season comes around. All right, let's go. All right, let's get a little salty here. Go Baylor. Will Dave Aranda be the head coach of the Baylor Bears in 2025? Let's start. Who wants to answer first? I'll take it. Um, okay. When I was posed this question, I thought about Texas A&M, how they made a change because their program was stuck in neutral. And Texas coming to the SEC, and they decided we've got to make a change. Baylor yeah. is backsliding into 2024, and that's the year when the Texas Big 12 teams need to separate themselves from the pack mm -hmm. now that Texas and Oklahoma are gone. And Craven wrote about it. 24 of Texas's top 83 players, they're staying in state. That's slim pickings right now. So whoever does better on the field is picking from a slim margin of the top guys. It, it just feels like this offseason, too, has been bad for Baylor. 16th yes. in team recruiting rankings. Uh, Dave Aranda didn't give a signing day press conference. I'm looking today uh, online. The five-year average attendance is down almost 2%, which is second worst in the Big 12 right now. The vibes are all bad because Dave Aranda is also talking about the Kia December to Remember sales event, how it makes him sad because it means people are going to get fired. He's publicly admitted before he's kind of screwed up NIL, which I respect he admitted it. And I know he's going to do better to make a change on that. I just don't see how he sticks around in 2025. Yeah, I I tend to agree. You know, like I, I just don't. They have to win seven or eight games. Right, like it's yeah. six and six isn't isn't good enough, and if it's a losing season again, like they're going to get rid of them, and so it feels like they're going to have to win eight games. And the only significant change is is Jake Spavadol, and I, I think Jake Spavadol is a, a great play caller. That offense mm -hmm. is going to be more fun to watch. I don't know how much more effective it's going to be, and I think we're losing the point of the conversation with Baylor. We talk so much about the Baylor offense, and it's the Baylor defense, and if Dave Aranda can really go in and resurrect that thing from 2021 because the margins were small. Like if you go back to that Baylor 2021 season where they win the big 12 and 12 games, they weren't blowing teams out. It was not 42 to seven. They were winning 17 to 14. They, they didn't, I mean, they only gave up 30 points one time and they lost that game and it was right at 30 points. That was the Chandler Morris experience, crazy, you know, 2021 game against right. Baylor. And so, I just don't – you look at the transfer portal, I think Daquan Finn is a great – I think he's a solid quarterback. Like I think that yes. offense is going to be better, going to be fun. Ashton Hawkins, we've seen him at Texas State and what he can do. Like He's going to be you know, really productive. I, I just don't know how you make the defense two touchdowns better in one offseason with mostly mm -hmm. the same players. 
And to me, if you keep giving up 30 points a game, you're going to lose five to six of them. And that's not going to be enough to stay. So I, I guess I just, I just don't see it. I wish I did. I'm, yeah. I'm rooting for Aranda because he's just different. And I think he's good for college football, just his personality and showing that it doesn't have to be the same type of guy all the time. But I just don't, I just don't see the roster there to win eight games. I mean, you could make the defense better by putting Dave Aranda at coordinator. Which and they're not- doing that. They're doing that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'll say this. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to zig. I'm going to say he will be, but Ooh, I like don't it. think because I, here's why, because the other, we're going to have to come up with like a nickname for Jake Spavadol because like Al literally had this situation where they have a defensive head coach where the defense wasn't working. It was like, screw it. We need this offense to work first. Justin Wilcox, when he got Jake Spavadol, and he went and won seven games, right? And that got Justin Wilcox in time. Again, though, we'll see what happens now. I think they hired Sterling Gilbert to replace him, which, I, again, we'll see. I like Jake Spavadol. Um, I think Sterling Gilbert has a good pedigree, but I don't know if that's, you know, if he can keep that exact train rolling. Um, I think we may be in a similar situation to where they do enough to where, yeah, I could, see, like, again, we'll see. I wouldn't pen them right now to win eight games, no. But I do think the path is there. If they can, they have, they have to, have to, have to, have to flip a game like at Iowa State or at Tech, right? They just have to, right? And that's going to be a tough, tough game, a tough contest for both. But they have to. Um, but I think with the players coming in, with Daquan Finn, with uh, Hawkins giving him something else, I think they, and then Jake Spavadol scheming it up, I think the offense will be good enough to do that. Long term, I don't know. Right. I don't think he's I let's say this. I don't think he's there in 2026. But I think next year they do enough, maybe get to a bowl, maybe win the eighth game in a bowl and then go on. I think that's where it is. Um, but I don't see this as a long term thing because once you give a coach carte blanche to get rid of the staff, but we're keeping you, I mean, yeah, then all of a sudden it's like, okay, longevity, what does that spell? Because your your vision's already not already proven to not work. So are we just giving you another chance to do your vision again? So to answer the third question, o- third yes. offensive coordinator, right? Yeah, exactly. Third offensive coordinator. Um, so again, my 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 to answer the question, yes, twenty twenty five, no, twenty twenty six, because I think that it's a it's a band aid, and I think the band aid will work for one year. It's like Dan uh, the guy who just keeps hiring the wrong guys. <laughs> right, <laughs> literally, literally, everyone around him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They gave up thirty three point two points a game last year. You know, they gave up 18.3 when they won a conference championship. Like it's not yeah. like it's got to be better. Like it's, it's just yeah. when you have a defensive minded head coach, that's how you're going to win football games. Like I just, I don't know. I don't know how you get say, two touchdowns better. Right. I'll say this. Uh, Cal, similarly, we mentioned Justin Wilcox. Um, they, the games they won, or look at the, the games they lost. They've scored, they scored 32, 40, 49, and they won seven games this year, right? In the games they lost. <laughs> so Spavkin, again, Spavkin coached some offense. I was about to say, if, if, if the defense could be a fraction better, if the same, and he just says, screw it, we got to make this offense work, and we'll see we'll, ha- we'll see what happens. Okay, but we talked about it in the new era of NIL and the transfer portal. Can a head coach offense be the offensive play caller? Can the head coach be a defensive play caller as well? We're about to find out, because that's, yeah. that's something that I'm very curious about. That's, that's something we only see in the NFL, is like the I, defensive guy being a play caller. And like, Dave Aranda loves it. 
right? Like, I mean, you're not yeah. going to come out and sit, right? But like, that's what he, that's what he does. Like, he likes, yeah. he wants to be in a dark room crawling up creeper blitzes. Like, that. that's right. what he wants to do. Like, that. that's what he's always done. I think the other stuff sometimes makes him a little bit more uncomfortable. I, I think the and, smart thing that they did was, and we don't know if it'll work, right? I mean, sure. nobody well, knows. I was gonna say, we don't work. know. But I do think he was, I see the logic. I see why they did it. And I see why you give them one year to be the defensive guru thing and figure that out. Cause in 20, from 2021 to 2022, they averaged the same amount of points and like lost five more games, you know, and it's because that defense fell off of cliff and then both just stunk last year. And so I understand why you go, Hey, go find you an offensive coordinator with head coach experience that can basically be the offensive head coach. You be the defensive head coach. We'll reconvene in December and see if it worked or not. And so like, I totally get it mine isn't the like i i believe in spaz ability to call offense and i damn sure believe in aranda's ability to call defense i don't believe in the roster talent and like at right. the end of the day i'm still a roster talent guy and i i just i don't see the improvements on the roster to go from back-to-back losing seasons to eight or nine wins i just i don't know where that comes from unless daquan yeah. finn is just freaking awesome mm-hmm. yep i get it all righty um Let's go to go up the road, up 35, TCU. Can TCU compete for a Big 12 championship with Josh Hoover at quarterback? Um, I'll go ahead and start this one. I'm going to say – I'm going to say yes because here's why. Josh Hoover proved to me – for a guy that I did not expect to take a snap this year. Give him a C plus. I'll give him a C plus for a freshman who I did not expect to see. And again, I saw this kid at Rockwell Heath did not see division one quarter or FBS quarterback as, as his future. After seeing him for the season, seeing the kind of situations he was put in and we can, you know, we can get to the, the play call uh, discussion too. I see it, right? I see something. And again, as a freshman, there's something to work with there, in my opinion. And I think that you look at... He's fun. He's fun. He's fun to watch. I think the offense did look better with him than Chandler Morris. Um, Whether that was limitations of play calling or whatever, things that switched around or whatever, I don't know. Um, But from that Colorado game where you saw an offense that had talent and just couldn't get out of its own way to a team that you're watching him. You're like, how are they generating plays with this kid at quarterback? And okay. They're kind of running the ball a little more. Uh, The receiving talent's not bad. They just don't have that alpha player. I say, yes. Now, will they? I don't know. I say, can they? Yes. I like the off season. I mean, I like Josh Hoover. Like, I think he's fun. I think he's got electric moments, but the issue I have is TCU last year, we talked about, they didn't have a quarterback competition. It was Chandler Morris was going to be a starter, and that was that. And I don't think Josh Hoover going two and five in extensive minutes this year, I don't think Ken Seals was the guy you're going to bring in for a big-time quarterback competition. Like, I think Josh Hoover is a good player, but he should still need to earn it, you know, in spring ball. Because if I look at his stats right here, so against BYU, his first start where there was no tape on him, and Baylor, which was a corpse by the end of the year, He's 61 for 87 for 70% completion percentage, four to 25 yards a game, six to two touchdown interception ratio against everyone else. He's 
59% completion percentage, 261 yards a game, eight touchdowns, six interceptions. So a lot of his stats are a little bit inflated by those two games. Sure. I think I bought in the second half of the Texas game. It's kind of where I was like, hey, this this kid's got something to himself. And, you know, I, he, he had eight touchdowns to only three interceptions his last three games. I, th- I thought he played really, you know, pretty well against Oklahoma. Uh, you know, a true freshman, so the more tape that you get on him, you know, the more the guy's going to struggle and probably get confused a little bit. Um, but to me, I, I don't think he's going to be the reason TCU can't compete for a Big 12 champion. Like, I think he's good enough uh, to be the quarterback of a Big 12 champion team. He's not going to go win it himself. He's not going to be probably the Heisman Trophy winner, but we didn't think about that for Max Duggan either. And so I think Carter hit on a point that I worry about. It's just, I, is it fair to question TCU's own ability to know who the best quarterback in the roster is or to like know if it's inflated from practice or how that's because just they thought Chandler Morris was going to be the guy two, two years in a row. And they got bailed out by Max Duggan and that miracle run, you know, last year Hoover came in and played well in spots as Carter mentioned. And so I think he played well and I think he's going to take a step forward. I too wish they would have brought somebody in that was more in line with pushing him to maybe being the starter. But I understand how that's hard too, because if you do that, you risk losing Josh Hoover to whoever you bring in. And then you're in that same situation we talked about with Texas state earlier. And so uh, I guess that was a long way of saying, I don't know necessarily. (laughs) Like I don't have a strong opinion one way or the other, Uh, but I, I, th- I think the way the Big 12 is headed, it's going away from star quarterback throws the ball 40 times a game and you win it 48 to, to 42. I think it's going to be more Utah, more Kansas State, more Baylor was in 2021. And I think Josh Hoover can be the guy for that. It'll just mm-hmm. always confuse me that TCU got 1.2 points better on defense and 7.5 points worse on offense from 22 to 2023 and Joe Gillespie is the one that got fired like that like that that is forever (laughs) going to be an interesting choice to me not to say that Joe was like killing it or did but like right right TCU's gonna win offense or not offense right like they're gonna be the yin to that yang like they're gonna try to be I mean that's just who Sonny is they've always scored points I think he's gonna put up stats they're just gonna have to be a lot more efficient and I think that's more on the coordinator than the quarterback but I could be wrong on that We'll see. I think, I think there's, I mean, that's, that's fair to question. I mean, you know, people watched that Kansas state game and they were kind of, you know, that was, I think that was like the peak of the the, the fed upness with, uh, with Kendall Brown's offense um, was that 41 to three loss. And again, you, again, you looked at that Texas game. I looked at that tech game as well. Even the Oklahoma game, I thought again, that kid had something right. He wasn't the reason why they had a downturn this year. In fact, I would argue that he was a big reason why they even had a pulse after you know in the middle of the season at all so um yeah like you mentioned i don't know if he's that that feeling that max duggan ended up showing eventually uh where we didn't catch it but i don't think he's going to be a problem if that makes sense um i also don't think i think we i think we're seeing a blake shape in sawyer robertson situation where like oh we have our guy we're gonna have a guy to kind of quote unquote push him it's like you really think he's gonna push push him you know it's kind of one of those situations where it's like Let's just get a guy. I like Ken. I, I think Ken Seals is fine, but he didn't, you know, he just reason why he got bent to Vanderbilt. Well, uh, yeah, that's the thing. And because we talk about Josh Huber and say, okay, he's not the guy that's going to harm you, but he's the guy yeah. to take you to the level. Quarterbacks like that need to be pushed in spring ball, in my opinion. Sure. I don't sure. know if Ken Seals does it. Yeah. 
That's fair. I mean, maybe who knows? I don't know. Maybe Hoss Haney does it. I don't know. I don't think he's ready yeah, next year. Maybe, but, yeah, that's something going f- in so the future. That's the championship yeah. game. Probably. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's get to some of the bigger dogs now. Let's go. You know, let's shake it up a bit. Let's go to the SEC. Let's go Texas A&M. With Texas headed to the SEC and the Aggies undergoing a coaching change, has the window for Texas A&M becoming a national title contender closed? That is, uh, that is a very loaded uh, <laughs> question. Um, you know what? I, who wants to start this one? Because this one's very I'll interesting. I'll, I'll take it. I'll okay. Take okay. It. I think it's important to realize that the window is getting larger. Yes. You don't have to be one of the top four teams anymore. You don't have to beat Georgia, right? I mean, Alabama's changed this equation because Nick Saban just retired, but you don't have to beat, let's say, in that, in that, like Alabama. You don't have to be right. the SEC champion. You just got to finish in the top 12. You just need to go 10 and two, sometimes even nine and three. There's going to be four SEC teams in the college football playoff every year. If AM is that half the time, that's success. If AM was 12th in the nation half the time under Jimbo Fisher, that's a failure, right? And so, like, the equation has changed for Mike Elko in terms of what is uh, acceptable and what is not because the playoff has gotten bigger. And so, the, the, you don't have to build a team to go 11 and 1 and 12. And I don't know if we'll see another undefeated national championship champion in a while. Like, I, I just think yeah. it's going to be more NFL y where you're 9 and 3, 10 and 2. Hell, sometimes maybe an eight and fourteen with some really good wins or something sneaks in there in, in a weird year. And so I, I think for AM, you squandered the head start. I do think that is true. I, I think you had this ability in the SEC to build a roster and do some stuff that you never had before, and you didn't do a ton with it that you hadn't done before. Right. So like I do think you squandered the head start. Like if this is a 400 meter race, they no longer have that stagger, right? They're not in right. the four lane where you're in the three lane. Like Texas is right there next to you. But if you're AM, what dictate or what constitutes as success, I think has changed because of the playoff. And they're going to be able to build a roster to do what Old Miss is doing, to do, you know, what LSU did last year. I think they can go nine and three, 10 and two and make the playoffs half the time. To your point, to Carter, before you go, to your point on the playoff. Um, looking back on this past year, let's not count Texas because they got in as a big 12 team. But if they would have got the 12 team bid, uh, the 12 team playoff, Alabama, Georgia, Ole Miss, Missouri, they would have got four teams in, right? Those teams like Missouri, who had a good year, they would have got in. So you don't have to be better. You don't have to be better than Georgia and Alabama. You got to be better right. than Missouri and Ole Miss and Auburn and like occasionally right. Texas and LSU. And you're in right. that thing more often than not. Right. So go ahead, Carter. I'm going to go bad cop, good cop. Which one do we want first? <laughs> Let's go bad now. Let's start off. Give okay. him a dose of dose of medicine. Ross Bjork, rest in peace, was on record <laughs> as saying there's a reason Texas AM left the Big 12 to be the sole SEC team in Texas. Texas AM not wrong. Not in the SEC during the worst decade of Texas football in the history, and they did next to nothing with it. And now as Texas comes in the SEC, they are ascending, and Texas AM is hitting the reset button. Six out of the last 12 years, all years Texas A&M was in the SEC, they beat Texas in the recruiting battles, in the team rankings. It was 2013 and 2014 when Johnny Football was there. It was 2017, Herman's first class. And it was 2020 through 2022 when Herman was leaving and Sark was coming in, basically. 
That's my bad cop. Good cop is no, the window's not closed. Because we talk about Craven's piece on recruiting. 45 of the top 100 signees are heading to the SEC, and the majority of those are in the top 50. Yeah. You know how you can win recruiting battles is you win on the field. Like, why does TCU not want to play SMU anymore? Because SMU is about to go power five, and they don't want to give them recruiting ammunition. The best prospects in Texas will choose between the Longhorns and the Aggies and every other in-state school for the most part, except for Micah Hudson, guys like that, these one-off scenarios, the rest of the schools are going to get the West. So whoever does better on the field will do better in recruiting. Therefore, the window isn't closed. But wow, you squandered the head start. (laughs) I'll say this. Um, I think that – so I don't think they – they squandered it from a national title contender perspective. I do think it proved one thing and something that genuinely I didn't know Craven. I'm pretty sure as long as you've been alive, you weren't aware of it showed me that AM can be a national brand, right? It showed me that AM can be the place where, yeah, they can land the number one recruiting class, right? Cause yeah, growing up, I mean, they had to go get the Stephen McGee's and you know, the, the Javorski lanes who were good, but they were more like, Okay, and Lufkin and Burnett, right? Um, so it did show me that, and I think it showed a lot of people that AM, the money's there to be a brand, right? Now, the next step, Carter, to your point, is showing that can the money get them to the level they want to be, right? At Texas, it's showing, yeah, when everybody's in lockstep in unison, they got the money, and you know what? Boom, they turn a key that says SEC on it. All of a sudden, they're, they're bringing in guys that they hadn't before. Uh, all of a sudden, they're winning games like they hadn't before. Coaches want to go there, right? Coaches are turning down USC to go to stay at Texas. Um, and so I think the window is not closed, but it has definitely gotten where it should have been getting much easier. It's now gotten only a bit easier, right? Because now Texas is there, right? That's going to be a problem. Because now you had a foothold on this conference with just LSU maybe poaching a couple guys in Alabama, of course. Um, but now you have another one where it's like, yeah, why would you go to College Station? Just, just go to Austin. The 12-team so, playoff is a godsend. It's a godsend, right? If this was still the playoff, the 14 playoff, yeah, I'd probably lean towards closed, probably. Right, right, right. Uh, and it's going to allow like guys like James Franklin to have like a new lease on life, right? right yeah, it's not exactly. just an A&M thing. It's that like 1B tier. You know, like it just allows that one B tier to go from like underachieving to achieving, right? Because like mm-hmm. being 10th mm-hmm. in the old days sucked. Being 10th now yeah. means you're in the first round of the playoff. You win one of those and all of a sudden you've made all your money back from NIL. Just went one home game or whatever, right? So I do think it's changed the equation there. But to y'all's point, A&M has a Texas problem. And that is mm-hmm. they're never good at the same time. Like if you go yeah. back, you look at the two team successes 1975 is the only year point. in the history of college football that A&M and Texas have ever won 10 games in the same season. Texas has won 10 games 23 times in the history of Texas football. A&M's only yeah. won nine games in five of those years, right? Like they are That's usually a, a seven or eight win team at best when Texas is good and vice versa. When A&M wins 10 games, Texas averages, I think, 6.79 wins a year, right? So like it never they're never both 10 win teams. There's not enough talent in Texas. And I know that sounds crazy, but half of it leaves, right? Half yeah. of it goes to Georgia and Alabama and Ohio state and Clemson and Notre Dame. So A&M and Texas are fighting for that other half. 
And there's just not enough to go both ways. Like historically, it's just never happened. Maybe this changes it, you know, now. But I think that is the problem for AM. Isn't necessarily Texas in the SEC. It's Texas being competent again. And historically, <laughs> when Texas is competent, AM hasn't been able to match that. And yeah. when AM's been good, is in Texas's kind of like, what the hell is Texas doing down there days, right? Like in those right, like the Steve right. Patterson type years and stuff like that is when you know, the, the 80s for Texas, where it's just like, what what the hell is UT doing? A&M right. then, then kind of creeps up and has their best years. If Texas has Sark and Texas is rolling in the way that they're doing, we've yet to see a time where A&M has been able to match that uh, at, at the same in the same period. So I think to me, that's that's the hang up for A&M. All right, wrapping up, last two. Let's go back to the Big 12 for one last time. Texas Tech. What are reasonable expectations for the Red Raiders in year three of the Joey McGuire era? I think for me, as November rolls around, I think this team has to be in the hunt for a title appearance. In the hunt. I'm not saying they have to make it. I'm saying they have to be. It can't be Thanksgiving and they're talking about, oh, well, there goes that, right? I think with they have the quarterback – they have a very good recruiting class coming in. They have your golden wide receiver who should be making an impact in year one. And they have a remade wide receiver room who they're gambling on, you know, on getting better despite losing experience, right? They're, they're gambling on Hitley just finding guys who fit better and therefore production goes up. And of course they bring back Taj Brooks, one of the best running backs in the country. Defense. We'll see, right? Defense. I think that's been a, a, it's been up and down. I think overall it's been a plus compared to the last era, but yeah, I think this has to be a team that is competing for a championship. doesn't have to make it right. It's not a doom and gloom, but the step that we were kind of hoping they'd take this year, I think they have to take next year. Yeah. I don't like playing the schedule game this far out in advance, but I'm not sure, sure I can make anyone understand how important week two at Washington state is. Like it is one of the yeah, more good sneaky, point. Good point. One of the more sneaky, important early games of the year. Uh, the Red Raiders are three and four against Power Five competition in September under Joey McGuire. Um, they are th- they are three and eight on the road. Their their three road wins of the Joey McGuire era are 2022 Iowa State, 2023 Baylor, and then 2023 Kansas. The 2023 mm-hmm. Kansas is the only bowl team that they've beaten on the road. Washington State's not going to be as good as they were last year, right? They lose their sure. head coach. They're they're not in the Pac-12 anymore or whatever it's called. And so it it's a winnable game. And if they're able to win that, then they should be 3-0. and Their other their first three games are Abilene Christian at Washington State at home against North Texas. Texas Tech has closed really well under McGuire. He's a former high school coach. He knows how to get his team playing really good in November and December. November, Joey. It's the non-district yeah. schedule. Right. Like that non-district schedule, that first six weeks of the year, they were three and three in year in year one. I think they were two and three or two and four last year at that at that halfway mark. And so they have to get it rolling early. They have the schedule to do so. If you can go on the road, beat Washington State, you get that monkey off your back. And all of a sudden the homes, the schedule's okay, right? You're away Big 12 games are Arizona, TCU, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, but you get five home games. Uh, in, in the regular season against the Big 12. Um, and so it, if you can get 3-0, if you can avoid the trap on the road, if you can avoid the September loss like you had last year against Wyoming, 
uh, all of a sudden Tech is 3-0 and with some momentum, if they can close like they have previously, then yeah, they should be in Big 12 contention by the end of the year. I think the expectation in year three is you don't have to rifle through three starting quarterbacks again. Because at what point do we say, hey, commend the program for fighting through three different quarterbacks to start saying, why the hell does this keep happening? So oh, Texas, Tech, yeah. Texas Tech's offensive line, 17th in the country in tackles for loss allowed, but 51st in the country in sacks allowed. And I wonder why that is. It might be because you have a yeah. bowling back there in Taj Brooks who isn't getting tackled. So some of your numbers are a little bit inflated. Now right. I will say they've done a great job in the transfer portal. They're getting... Group of five talent, but guys who have started lots and lots of games, like Sterling Porter from Middle Tennessee, a two-year starter. Davion Carter from Memphis, I'm really excited. Guys, guys who are worth taking a gamble to see if they're a level up. Vinny Skiri, yes. And yeah. the recruiting, Micah Hudson, yes, that is fantastic. He's going to start right away. But the secondary recruiting is what I get really excited about because the secondary is losing so much experience. Only Dadrian taylor Demison was an all-conference guy, second-team all-Big 12 performer. They're losing Rashad Williams, Malik Dunlap, and Tyler Owens. But Peyton Morgan's a four-star coming in. They've got a four-star Brendan Jordan in the wings. Chapman Lewis got a lot of time last year. So I think they're doing a very good job. I would say the expectation is contention. Nine wins is kind of anything less than nine wins. I'm saying it's slight disappointment. Anything more, great success. We have to see more of the tech that, and I know they lost lost this game, but we have to see more of the tech against Oregon than we do the tech that you know obviously the last game Texas on Monday, but like the tech against UCF that was like struggling against a newcomer, right? Like Oregon, that that again, it was a loss, but looking back on that game, and we know how good Oregon finished the year, like that was like okay, tech, you were there with a team that could have made a pl- the playoff, right? That was that's where you should want to be, and. We have to see more of that than the up and down. And like you mentioned, it starts the offensive line, starts staying healthy. Um, and they're kind of – they're also – I mean, like Craven mentioned, they know where the holes are, and they fill the holes, right? They've started to fill the holes. They brought in Josh Kelly from Washington State, who's a really good wide receiver, um, in addition to Micah Hudson. So they're starting to run out of excuses to where it's like, okay, they don't have this, they don't have that, they don't have this. They're, they're fixing that. So, yeah, I'd say next year is where we start looking for those answers. Let's talk about the wide receivers real quick. When Duran Bradley, Miles Price, all those guys left at first, it raised a little bit mm-hmm. of red flag. Like, do those guys not want to play in Zach Kittley's offense? I think the guys coming in, I'm more excited about than the crop mm-hmm. that left. Is that yeah. fair to say? I think that's what I think. I mean, I think they, I think they're they're excited too. I think they're more excited. I think that guys like Koy Aiken broke out last year and is like, oh, there's a guy who okay, we can build around that. Um, you mentioned Josh Kelly and then Micah Hudson. Like, yeah, if you want to Brady Boyd, you want to roll those three or four into the into next year, you can do worse anywhere in the conference, probably. Yeah, I think it's important to look at the transfer portal, like uh, importing, exporting, and, and they're importing mm-hmm. better than they're exporting, and, and that's yeah. that's a that's a good sign. But I think the offensive line is really the key. They they've been a better run blocking unit than a pass blocking unit. Like their tackles have just been better at run blocking and going forward because they're probably guards really playing tackle but they're just they're gonna have to get better uh at pass blocking or baron morton's not gonna make it through the year healthy and we're gonna see justin strong or will hammond or something like that and then all of a sudden the bets are off right and so um keeping him upright keeping him healthy has got to be priority number one for this group in 2024 yep all right morton last windshield with the blood on his jersey the entire season like he was just not healthy ever yeah 
All right, last one. Texas. Steve Sarkeesian is 25 and 14 through three seasons and was extended through 2030. An interesting point Craven brought up. Jimbo Fisher was 26 and 10 after three years when he received his extension after the 2020 season. Good. Longhorn fans feel worried at all about giving Steve Sarkeesian this extension. For other context, other coaches who have received the extension in the SEC, Sam Pittman at Arkansas, Shane Beamer at South Carolina, right? Obviously, raises happen um, in the sport. When any time a head coaching job opens up, Steve Sarkeesian wasn't going to get a raise anyway. Alabama job opens up. Who knows? They might have gotten a little bit of bump in there. Um, raises happen. Um, but should Texas fans feel worried that did they strike? I, I don't know. Is, what, how would you phrase it? Did they jump? I don't want to say jump the gun because he was due for a raise, but AM fans seem to think job done after 2020. We got our guy to the moon, and it turns out just like NFTs was a nosedive. So, uh, <laughs> Yeah. Well, here's the difference between the Jimbo Fisher extension and the Sarkeesian extension. Jimbo mm -hmm. Fisher was already one of the highest paid coaches when they extended him. It was a 10-year, $75 Fair. million dollar deal that then yeah. they went to 2031 on. Sarks was a six-year, $35 million deal. This extension is now for four extra years. That's the original Jimbo contract right there mm -hmm. that he's up on now. They had to extend Sarkeesian because – Prior to the extension, he was going to be the 13th highest paid coach in the SEC and 30th in the nation. So with Nick Saban, that job opening up and all the dominoes that fell, you just had to extend Sarkeesian. Now, mm -hmm. I understand where Texas fans might be a little worried because they were still paying Tom Herman not to be the head coach this year because they extended him after that Sugar Bowl through 2023. And I brought this up when the Baylor when the Baylor discussion was going on, can Sark be the play caller and the head coach? Because of the coaches that have won national championships in the last 25, 30 years, it's been Jimbo in 2013 at Florida State, Pete Carroll in 2004, Tom Osborne, Nebraska in 1994, 95, 97. It, but the issue is it's similar to Lincoln Riley at OU is mm -hmm. Texas is going stupid in the transfer portal wide receiver with Bolden, Bond, Gold, because those guys want to play in Sark's system. Do they get all those guys if Sark isn't the offensive play caller? So it's a little bit of the chicken and the egg uh, situation. I think where Sarkeesian is different than Jimbo Fisher, and Sam Conley the Athletic has written extensively about the downfall of the Jimbo Fisher era, is yeah. it was a little bit of my way or the highway, right? It, he got emboldened a bit by the huge contract. He wanted to be an X's and O's guy only, really, and he didn't want to handle all the increased organizational duties and the NIL and the transfer portal. Now, he did handle him, but it was a little bit grudgingly, right? Mm -hmm. Steve Sarkeesian in the transfer portal, he's dipping in the transfer portal fixing holes. Trey Moore for the outside edge rush, which got exposed in the Washington game. Andrew Makuba for the secondary because – that was a weak spot last year. Jimbo wasn't doing this as much in the transfer portal. So, and yeah. also last thing about Sarkeesian, he brings in head coaches, former head coaches to be on his support staff. It's Gary Patterson from TCU in the Dwight Schrute role, a special assistant to the head coach, Montana assistant, Jeff Choi, um, Wisconsin head coach, Paul Chris. They're all there on staff or have been at some point. 
Yeah, I don't I don't think it's the same. I understand the hesitation. I do I do think that there's two different points here. One, the extension can be bad, but also Texas being okay making it, right? And what I mean by that yeah. is why not? Why don't these athletic directors just call the freaking bluff for these coaches? Like we say, like yeah. Alabama opened up, and so Texas had to give Steve Sarkeesian a raise. Why? Mm-hmm. Like why? I was just about to say, like, what, was, he, was he? I was about to say, was he? Did the was the paper on his desk? Had, yeah, I mean, had, he had gone to Alabama and then taken Arch Manning. He wouldn't have though. <laughs> he would. He, he yeah. wouldn't have. He didn't yeah. want to walk into that chair. Let him do it. Let him go yeah. do it. Right. Like it, I, you're Texas. You have all the money in the world. This extension means very little to you. You can buy it out whenever you want to. So I understand this is monopoly money and none of it makes sense. But these schools have to stop negotiating against themselves in these deals to just give the guy who's represented by the same guy that they're represented more money. And so everybody can share in this, you know, untapped money fund that comes right. into college athletics. But I, I do wish, like, had, had had LSU had Texas A&M walked into Jimbo's office and just been like, yeah, if you want to go be the head coach at LSU, like we wish you nothing but the best. Jimbo would have been like, I was just playing guys. Like I was just, right. I was just joking. I don't, I don't need They're to not start giving me that new- money. Well, and why go start a new thing? Like right. even if you just leave and take arch with you, like it doesn't, that doesn't guarantee you're anything other than like an eight, nine win team in the sec, which isn't even that good. Right. If you're Alabama, right. you'll revolt on that. And so, I just I don't think he was going to take the Alabama job, so I don't understand why you have to renegotiate after one really good football season. He was thirteen and twelve going into to the third year, but this is why it's different than Jimbo. One twenty twenty is a mirage, right? Everything that happened in twenty twenty, good or bad, means nothing, and we had to learn that lesson later. And then here is the quarterback recruiting that happened under Jimbo versus the quarterback recruiting that happened under Sark so far. Uh, Jimbo two thousand eighteen, James Foster. Don't know if y'all remember that. 2019, yes, that's right. That's exactly right. 2019, Zach Calzada. 2020, Haynes King. 2021, Eli Stowers. Uh, Then Max Johnson as a transfer, and then Connor Wegman. He he finally got one in his one, two, three, in his fifth cycle as head coach. Man, got a five star quarterback. On the other side, Texas, Charles Wright. That was a weird one. You know, Sark got it late. Uh, the early signing period was a real thing in 2021 where it wasn't in 2018. Mm-hmm. And so it was a different kind of verge since then Quinn Ewers in the portal, Malik Murphy, Arch Manning, Trey Owens. Like it's not like one is doing it with his own players. The other one had yeah. done it with Kellen Mond. And, and then like, by the way, he was trying to get Jalen Milrow at Alabama. Like he was right. part of that trying to get them. And over so, there. so like, yeah, I, I just think we've seen Sark do it with his own quarterback. We've seen the development along the offensive line in a way that AM hadn't. We see the development along the defensive line in a way that AM recruited to, but like hasn't put those guys in the top 15 in the draft or something like that, for example. Yeah. Uh, and so I think the development plus the quarterback recruiting uh, it makes this a different thing. But I do understand why Texas fans would be like, really? Like we already did, we're already doing this already. And I, I can see it becoming a talk. If Texas goes seven and five next year, this is going to be the conversation, right? And so um, I just feel like it's, again, I understand why Texas did it in this col- in this in, uh, climate. They probably had to, but I really wish that ADs would reset the market by going, no, no more. This is insane. This isn't real. We're not doing this money thing like with you. If you want another job, go do it. If not, live out the contract until at least the last year. This is Jimmy Sexton's world. We're all living in it. That's right. 
No, it is. Yeah, it's man controls. He, he's the one. Con- he's the what's the paraphrase I'm using? He's the man behind the curtains, basically. You know. Um. So yeah, I'll, I I I agree that there. Are, I can see the similarities and I can see the situation similarities, but there are differences. I think that Texas fans should be encouraged by Sark being able to realize what he does well which is scheme and offense, develop the quarterbacks, and even put receivers and running backs and skill positions in the best way possible, and letting everybody else, like Carter mentioned, letting his coaches coach, letting his recruiters recruit, right? You can tell, like, you don't have to like recruiting as a head coach, but you better make sure that if you, okay, if you don't like recruiting, everybody else better like recruiting, you know, right? And so, and so he has a Jeff Banks. He can just put, he's like, go sick them, you know, like just go give me those guys. And Jeff Banks will like go do whatever, right? Um, He has a staff to where his weaknesses, like Pete Kwiatkowski, right? He's like, okay, cool. I'm, you know, I wasn't known for defense at Washington, USC. Pete Kwiatkowski, just worry about that, right? And so he's so far, that's, those are things Jimbo did not do, right? I want the quarterbacks to play this way. Uh, He thought he was still good at, everything and it just wasn't right he didn't know when to delegate um he knew how to kind of i think what jimbo was good at was kind of mustering the AM brass to kind of show that hey look we can do something here right and motivating them enough to give him the players and the resources to then get those recruiting classes in the problem was he wasn't as good as he thought as everything else um so i think steve sarkeesian has done that and kind of recognized his own faults his own limits and he's able to fix that um uh, by hiring the right people and putting the putting them and himself in better positions so we're hoping that you know that kind of that kind of goes forward and they're able to do that in the sec and become a team that's one of those four teams that gets in every year aside from maybe an off year where they don't get in. So one of those two had already been humbled in their life and the, mm. the other one needed it to happen. Good point. Uh, Very and good and point. I, I think from the guys I know in this business, the Sarkeesian you see now is not the Sarkeesian you saw early in his career as a head mm. coach. He had some of those kind of same problems that Jimbo did in terms of being the smartest one in the room and not delegating and all the things that I think a lot of head coaches struggle with early on in their career. The thing is that Jimbo never had to do it, mm-hmm. never had to adjust and just never did. Uh, and he was getting paid so much money and it was guaranteed that he didn't feel like he had to. And, and maybe he did. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, I think Sark is a better coach for, for that understanding, like Carter said, of bringing in other head coaches, listening to other people and delegating more. Mm-hmm. All righty. So that'll do it for us for our first roundtable, Power 5 for this week. We're going Group of 5 next week. So all you Group of 5 fans, please stay tuned for that episode when that drops. Um, thank you guys for listening, of course. You can listen to us everywhere. You get your podcasts. Um, occasionally, we will be we will be doing live on Wednesday. But for these type of shows, we figured this is more of a better format and kind of a kind of a more questionnaire uh, Q&A type of deal um, where we're kind of discussing and having this roundtable. So... This first State of the Union, I guess we'll title it that, uh, Power 5 edition. Um, again, thanks for listening, and we will be back next week. Go Rutgers and Mike Elko. We'll be talking soon, hopefully. Hopefully. We've talked to all, but I guess we have two head coaches now that we haven't talked to. So Willie Fritz and Mike Elko will be coming soon. So uh, stay tuned for that, and thanks, guys, for listening. 